Hello everyone, it's Floyd Runyard again from Engineers. Um, I'm really pleased today that we are joined by Matthew Whitworth, CTO of Telerium. For those of you who don't know, Telerium are London-based, operating in the $5 trillion global energy market, deploying NLP and machine learning technologies to revolutionize how traders operate, how data is used, and what market insights are, are ready, readily available in order to make the brokering process as fair and accurate as possible. Today, we're going to be talking about a range of topics, including how an NLP and machine learning is being used to empower trading desks and some of the challenges of implementing emerging technologies in a regulated environment. But firstly, Matt, thank you for joining Engineers today. It's a privilege to welcome you and to share with our community more about you, Telerium, and the journey that you're on as well. Hi, Floyd. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so. A brief introduction to myself, I suppose. Uh, I'm the CTO at Telerium, so that's really leading a, a fairly small but highly capable engineering team and really trying to solve a lot of open challenges, um, put them into a commercial product as well. So before that, I was the CTO at Asperatus Capital. That was a multi-asset class hedge fund set up by the former head of electronic trading at Credit Suisse. So that, that was a really uh, exciting opportunity at quite a, a young age as well. And before that, I wrote an operating system as a teenager. So that's what uh, I would do for fun, I suppose, in those days. Uh, so all of that together, um, this opportunity here is sort of proven to uh, take on quite a few new and exciting uh, areas. And of course, a lot of what we're dealing with is at the forefront of the news cycle, things like AI, NLP, commodities, energy. So it's really good to see all of those kind of come together. Sure. Thanks for that, Matt. Appreciate the intro. And, and we're going to go into some more depth on Telerium for sure and the technologies and how you're empowering your customers. But um, first, I wonder if you can give some of our listeners more context on the energy trading industry. So I think a bit more history in terms of trading and how it's historically operates. And I think hopefully that will lead us into where Telerium comes in to try and um, implement these these emerging technologies as well. Sounds good. So it's easy to think here that energy operates like any other asset class. You know, there's a lot of uh, trading that happens. It's all electronic and there's tons of computers at it. I want to dispel that notion because that's very much not the case. Um, it's really, I would say, 20 or 30 years behind the rest of the market or really the other asset classes, a lot of uh, which have electronified over time as well. Equity is sort of being the front runner there. But if you think of yeah, other markets such as bonds, you know, slightly uh, slower markets, they still have a very strong electronic component to them as well. So the market that we're dealing with is very much chat brokered and voice brokered. What those mean is that there's a sense of, if you want to get a deal done, you go through a an existing broker and the way that they distribute information about the uh, the sort of order that you want to complete is to blast it out to say 30 or so traders that they have on their blast list on a chat network or they press a button and say here's this contract at this bid and this offer who wants to to go for it and it's really interesting to see that because there's a lot of inertia in the industry there's a fairly small group of uh, players that uh, are 
values to the existing system. And of course, like any startup, we hope to disrupt things, but um, for the benefit of all participants, hopefully. So there's a number of challenges, obviously, in taking that very analog stream of uh, voice and chat data, but I suspect that will probably be the next question. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all very voice and chat heavy, right? Which I guess is one of the challenges that you're trying to, you're trying to approach with Telerium. Yes, really only the commodities that you will have heard of that are day-to-day -day terms like Brent, the North Sea oil contract. Those are one of the few things that are actually electronically traded and actually quite a staggering degree as well. Okay, fine. Understood. So in terms of um, kind of understanding Telerium and where you come in and work with your customers to solve the many challenges that you, you've mentioned um, and that needed to be covered. Can you give us an overview of Telerium? Um, I guess maybe going back to the start in terms of the concept and, and where the founders were coming from with their idea, um, but also the journey that you've been on with the products that you're building and specifically, of course, how the emergence of AI, NLP and machine learning is, is really driving your success as well. Absolutely. So really the context for the business beginning was the fact that Stanislav, our CEO, was a trader at a company called Mandara, and they typically have a very sort of modern focus to it. But what he was surprised to, to learn really when he started was it isn't all about pointing at maps and uh, describing highly detailed trading strategies. A lot of it is just really basic data management and manipulation, this idea of if you get all of these data points coming through, not an electronic screen, but uh, a chat message account or a voice, uh, uh, sort of voice account as well, then you really have to go and transcribe that, put that into Excel. And really what you're managing for a good portion of the day is a whole list of prices, really curves per product that tell you how the price of the product changes over time as well. So that kind of impetus, uh, there are obviously attempts, but a lot of the those were proprietary. It's an obvious problem, but there's that real sense of it is actually quite a tough challenge to build a quality product. And that's where you really need a, a confluence of skills, not just familiarity with a rather um, niche and uh, to most people fairly underground part of the energy markets, but also uh, the familiarity with NLP, with AI to evaluate uh, all of the techniques available and decide which is suitable for which medium. That it's really not the kind of industry where you can say, here's the latest trend, let's just give it a go, because um, I think you're probably uh, aware there's a lot of money riding on uh, what we're doing. So it has to be a high quality product. There isn't a sense of let's just release it and see what happens there. Um, yeah. So the, the main challenges there are it's easy, as I said, to go for some uh, new tech, flashy technique. Machine learning is really tempting. But fundamentally, things like chat messages are written to be understood by humans. So there's really kind of two main challenges there. One is that you don't have a, uh, that most people, when they read something, they know there's a couple of conventions going into it and they'll just apply it in their head. So you don't need to use machine learning because people aren't these kind of noisy. Uh, things when they read the message, they just actually go and turn it into um, something that makes sense to them. So actually replicating all those different rules, finding out what they are, you know, under what cases they apply, that was uh, a really interesting 
part of building the processing pipeline, just taking that text, but actually knowing that translating it directly isn't going to make much sense in the screen itself, transforming it to something that does comes with its own NLP related challenges uh, as well. The second major, uh, the second major problem area I would say is eliminating mistakes. There's nothing to stop traders from, or rather brokers when they're chatting to traders from making simple transcription errors, getting digits wrong, et cetera. So when, when people buy Telerium, they're not looking for just a completely raw transcription of what's being said. They're looking for something that actually filters out and makes it a high quality data stream. And that's where I think the basis of moving things from a very kind of manual human eye driven system to something where you have this near perfect data stream that you can actually start to build uh, risk analysis on and all those kind of other more clever intraday uh, processes, that's going to be an interesting transition that I think will take place throughout the 2020s. Okay. Fine. That's interesting. And I think, and I know when we originally met and we spoke some uh, around kind of voice data as well and ac different accents and interpretations and abbreviations. And I imagine for yeah. the technical teams, that must be an ongoing evolving challenge that you have to try and adapt to, to how people yeah. speak. To you and... That's secret challenge number three. Yes. Yeah. There's this idea of, uh, you know, not just the accents, but really what they're speaking are these two or three second bursts of words. Uh, and it is in English. It doesn't follow English grammar. There's no do I, etc. It's just, can I get out the three items that I need, product, period, and price as quickly as possible? And trying to listen to all of those things, label them, and uh, find engines that can support uh, that is a real challenge because a lot of uh, automatic speech recognition, that's the sort of name for the technology, engines that you get off the shelf are really happy if it's a very long legal transcript. After all, people speak really <laughs> Uh, clearly, the room is silent. You know, people are often on their best behavior and best uh, grammar when they're uh, speaking in court, for example. But uh, that's very much not the case on the average brokering call. It's noisy. <laughs> uh, people are just trying to get some business uh, done. And um, would you believe it? Not everyone pays uh, close attention to elocution at that point as well. <laughs> And is it is it quite a manual process for your team to kind of build on those models in in terms of whether it be implementing new um, new labels around new interpretations or language being used um, or are we are we reaching or are you reaching a, a place where it can start to kind of teach itself and pick up on common denominators? It, I'm just curious to know that must it sounds like quite a laborious and manual task to be able to keep up with those those transitions and that change, right? Yeah, so I'd say for chat messages, it's almost like it's a previous generation of model. And that's fine. After all, there's only so many ways you can type in things. Text is actually kind of nice to manipulate, to to investigate. It's a very, uh, well, it doesn't really have much noise associated with voice. On the other hand, uh, you know, where they are, their accents, the ways in which they formulate it. I think a lot of people can make brand new sentences off the cuff in a way that they simply don't in chat. It's too easy to copy and paste from a spreadsheet that has a sort of pre-formulated message there as well. So there's definitely a machine learning angle to what we're doing. And there's definitely the sense of more data uh, is a good thing because not only do we get to label it and check it out, but also uh, we, we can actually pair it up with some of the chat message that 
messages that we receive and it's this sense of going well this guy said this on the voice said this on the chat chances are and it might be a bit noisy most of the time but chances are they are actually the same thing as well so i think that really plays into that kind of more data is better um sort of positive cycle that i think you're uh, sort of alluding to there Sure, understood. And I'm interested in terms of how that, especially from the voice data and, and even from the text data, but how does the how is that data actually being drawn um, from the customer? So when you're in the live trading area, um, how, how are you actually interpreting or getting that data? So uh, chat, it's a case of uh, intercepting those incoming messages. That's the interesting data point as well. So if it's WhatsApp or any other kind of source, we can just go and ingest the messages that are coming in and you just need uh, time, who it's from and the body, you're good to go. Um, for voice, there's a, a company called Cloud9 and they provide a lot of uh, voice broadcast hardware and they've sort of moved it to software now, but the sense of it, you can get an incoming audio stream of really what the trader is listening to on the desk as well. And it's kind of nicely cut up by who said it and when they, press the button when they stop pressing the button there. So it, it, it takes a little bit of effort to build, but you can get a perfectly reliable data stream going in, you, you monitor it, whatever. And then the interesting part is actually making use of all that raw data coming in as well. And hopefully really good at background noise reduction, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> it just makes your life a, a lot more difficult. <laughs> That's right. That definitely helps. <laughs> now, now talk us through the Telerium offering in terms of the product cycle, because I'm interested and specifically to give our viewers um, an interpretation of when a customer is coming to you and needs your support or wants to implement the technologies that you offer. Um, how is it deployed? What are you deploying specifically? And, and obviously, you've just mentioned that there are some third parties that you, you've partnered with as well. But um, when we're thinking about interpreting data, insights and dashboarding, which I know is a big part of what you offer your customers as well, as, as well as the AI-powered technologies that we've discussed, talk us through that kind of cycle. Absolutely. So there'll be a sense of a trader getting in far more information that they can handle. They might be, say, working at a bank and they'll need to deal with client orders coming in, they'll want to get a good sense of, well, what do I quote back to the client if they do want to trade it? So they'll be covering just a sheer um, quantity of products. It's kind of hard to keep on track and uh, keep up to date your view on, say, 50, 100 products at once. So really the core of our offering has been the terminal. Instead of um, scrolling through all of these chat messages, keeping your ear to the, the voice media, you can take a look, take a very quick glance at the terminal and go, okay, for this product, for this period, let's say January 2024, uh, this is the price. That, this is the best bid offer that we have from the brokers that I have on the market. And that's have been the core for a few years. And we've sold into a number of uh, training houses, banks, et cetera, um, quite successfully. What we realized after a while was that we were actually getting um, broker data from a range of sources across the market and we figured okay that's we actually are probably the best informed out of anybody in the market let's see if we can reduce that to a single number a single fair value of where we think the the contract ought to be priced yes there'll be a small difference for the bid and the offer but we can really use that data use data from related products and build out these curves you know so each uh, Part of the curve has a single price that people can refer to as well. So that's the way in which we're 
trying to make things more efficient. You no longer need to be uh, at a certain level to get a lot of that data or to really get an idea of where things are trading at on a live basis. So that's an exciting new phase for the company, and that's something we're hoping to to roll out to interested customers very soon. Sure. Understood. And when it comes to kind of updating or if there's significant updates to the platform or the technologies you're offering, is it fairly simplistic to then roll those updates out to your existing customers or is it like a we go again and it has to be almost reintegrated? I would say it's very much the former. I think the best engineering teams are the ones that release often. And so for us, it's been daily, more than daily releases, but designing those kind of systems in a way that they support being updated without much interruption to service. That's been a key focus for us because the worst sorts of projects I find are the ones that never make their first release. Once they do, the pressure's off for everybody. You know, there's something of actual business value out there and it's really motivating for any team, uh, not just engineering, to see that kind of daily update happen. Sure, sure, understood. That's really useful. and. Now, the next question I wanted to cover with you is, is an interesting one around the financial services industry, because I think when we talk about implementing particularly state-of-the-art AI solutions, technologies that are emerging very quickly um, may not always be considered particularly regulated in their own in their own right. Obviously, it's very difficult to understand the noise of, of AI and, and what technologies are best to use for your customers and in which way. Um, of course, financial services is heavily regulated, right? So in your field dealing with potentially large very large investments and livelihoods and and as you mentioned before um uh, that the margin for error is very slim mm. i'm interested to learn how these things factor into how telerium implement their technologies um and what considerations you as a business are, are taking particularly you as cto to de-risk your solutions but ultimately ensure that they can remain ethical and, and as accurate as possible which is ultimately what your customers want right they want the most accurate numbers <laughs> Absolutely. So I think there's really two main factors that go into that. The first is a little more surface, but it's still really important. It's this idea of data security. A lot of the data that these organizations have coming in is they're trading bread and butter. A lot of these numbers might be private, for example. And so they don't want a sense of here's how much uh, this trading house uh, has an edge over the market versus uh, others. If that data were to leak, they would see that as a very severe breach. So in terms of getting on board at some of these organizations, it is a bit of a hassle, but rightly so. It's the sense of having to justify uh, why the system is built that way and in what way it makes it secure. So I think that's the kind of first bit security. Second uh, is a sense of being open about how things are solved. It isn't a magic box, uh, but explaining how things work at a high level is also not giving away the secret source either. Sure. So explaining things in a way in just a couple of slides perhaps that they understand that they know what value being able to turn every point of information into a data point that goes into the organization that takes a fair amount of good communication you can't just write a couple of a4 pages of precisely how the system works on a technical basis you really have to understand the language in which your customers speak and be able to you know tell them in some way the way in which they're used to hearing this kind of new technology as well because they aren't silly they aren't going to uh, um, change their trading operations for a new bit of software the following day there's going to be a bit of habit change a bit of building of trust 
and making sure that they feel well supported, that we're honest, supportive through that process is, is really something on the sort of softer skills side of things, but something that's really important for any kind of uh, disruption or technology change in any organization. Sure. Understood. Yeah, completely agree. So I think there's t there's definitely two two sides to that, right? Like you say, it's a technical challenge and really reassuring and implementing the right thing for the customers. But as you say, the softer skills and building that transparent relationship as well is just as critical. And yep. in terms of the data, I'm interested just briefly on is it when we think about extracting that data and delivering those insights, I'm assuming then you're taking in the customer data and it needs to be stored uh, by by Telerium on on your platform, so that must be quite a big challenge as well in in terms of the amount of data extracted, right? Absolutely. If you think that some of these traders and uh, just one on a desk that might have say thirty, forty traders, one of those gets five thousand data points a day just on chat alone. God knows how much on voice. <laughs> um, <laughs> the the multi it multiplies fairly quickly, and on busy days, uh, and there's obviously a couple in recent memory that figure does multiply as well as, as people sort of struggle to adjust. So I wouldn't say we're at the terabyte or rather petabyte scale data sets just yet, but there's still that sense of you, it needs to not just do it well, uh, it needs to do it fast as yeah. well. Sure. So you, you're not quite at capacity yet. You don't need to completely yeah. change change the status quo just yet. <laughs> no, but I like the challenge. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed you'll get there because that probably means that business is going well as well, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> now, now looking ahead, I'm, I'm curious to know, and it's quite subjective, I guess, but um, obviously being in the industry for some time now, uh, how do you anticipate kind of the intersection of AI and energy trading and, and how it will kind of shape the industry moving forward. Because, of course, it's interesting that you mentioned around energy in particular, how far behind it is in many ways from a, a kind of electronic point of view. And I think many perceive lots of the financial services industry to be behind the curve compared to lots of other industries as well, right? So do you think the fast emergence of AI in the last maybe 12, 24 months is going to really... Um, Kind of open up that trajectory for for catching up per se, or or kind of what's your what what are you foreseeing? Absolutely. So, I think the place that AI currently has in financial services, but also a lot of knowledge work across the industry, is that of an informed assistant. Um, and so it's this sense of here's a good summary of how things work, or I've written this first draft for you. Those are really powerful things, and we often spend a lot of time thinking about exactly how to say things to one another rather than what should I be saying or, or why should I be saying it as well? So it takes a lot of the lower level um, drudgery out of uh, the kind of work that, you know, frankly, any office worker would do. And it allows us to focus at a high level there as well. So I think the same applies to a lot of what financial services offer, except the input data is not, um, you know, write me this A4 piece on this. It's more, um, here's all some, here's some data. Uh, coming in, don't, it's not like a trading strategy where you have to determine this is the thing to trade and here's how much uh, of, to allocate as a position to it, but it's still this sense of here's a trend you should be aware of because in financial services, especially this kind of human-driven side of it, these guys are overloaded with information. I see that kind of summarization of you know things like ChatGPT, for example, as being um, actually the killer feature in all of this. It actually produces it down to a fairly digestible stream. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. And and I wonder, kind of, do you sit? Do you think that 
So it's a it's an important point that you make around it being more of an assistant in in rather than it completely replacing um, the need for for the likes of yourself, right? So, and you think, do you think that kind of trajectory for the financial services industry in particular will will kind of help the industry catch up with being at the forefront, or do you think that time has passed that it would always kind of be a bit behind yeah. the curve compared to maybe some of the big techs? Or it's an interesting question. I'm not sure I have a direct answer for it, but I would say. Um, that in some parts of it, uh, financial services has driven innovation. If you think of high-frequency technology, the kind of really fast, really low-latency tran- uh, data transfer technology that essentially investment from it has um, stimulated, then I think there's a, a sense of if we can get more people looking at the right sort of challenges, then sure, it can catch up. And the best way to do that is, and I think to tie it back to that learns reason for being is if you get people away from the in data organization and maintenance and actually get them thinking more about the high level challenges then that's just a really good way to to give people the opportunity to do that but if you're snowed under with lots of incoming data good luck you'll never uh, <laughs> be able to peek above the parapet so to speak yeah and certainly when you think about um competitors right and other other players in the market i think it's important if nothing else to be able to keep up with the speed and, and the accuracy that they're also operating with, which I guess is where companies like yourselves come in to, to support that that yep. transition. Um, now, uh, before we wrap up, I wanted to cover some more depth around your perception on anyone that's watching this, maybe that wants to consider a career, particularly within financial services, maybe it be trading, maybe it been been in another area. Um, and for someone like yourself that's been in the industry for some time with with obviously as an engineer originally now in a more senior uh, post i'm curious to know what skills do you feel are requ- required to succeed as an engineer in financial service specifically and maybe trading specifically as well um it's a subjective question again but i guess particularly around your experience hiring into the sector do you feel there's a certain set of skills that really suit financial services or do you see that maybe transition from other particular industries is quite simplistic i would say it's an archetype that also succeeds in other industries, but this idea of a great uh, problem solver and great communicator, because a lot of writing code, I'll be frank, is just writing it so that other people can understand it pretty clearly. That's communication. You know, that acing that and being able to design things well is a good way to go. In terms of financial services more specifically, to me, I've always liked the sense of it, the sense of agency in the sense like you make a change, it's a good change and improve things, it improves things, sorry. You can then watch the effect of that change when you roll out that day or when you launch this new feed and it enables the rest of the business to make money as well. So I've always found that loop uh, incredibly satisfying as well. And the problem solving aspect is really this sense of, can I actually take on this new idea? Uh, you have to be a fundamental optimist in areas like ours. You know that the chat messages and the voice calls that people receive, a human's going to be able to understand them. And they aren't complicated uh, thousand layer systems. They're just people looking at it and going, I reckon it means that it's pretty unambiguous. So having that kind of sense of, I don't know the solution to it just yet, but I certainly know a route that will help to solve it. That kind of proactive problem solving goes a long way in an industry like ours. Sure. And then, of course, the right experience for some of the right programming languages and operating systems also yeah. don't go miss as well, right? What stack, are you, what stack are you guys using at the moment? 
So we're using really three main languages, I would say, Elixir, TypeScript, and Python. And none of the team, including myself, wrote Elixir before we joined as well. Okay. So it's that sense of, you know, it's great to learn a language, but you, you shouldn't have to spend 10, 15 years doing it. It's a bit like um, astronomers and telescopes. Good astronomers are going to figure out what they can look at with a telescope. They aren't going to spend ages learning exactly how the telescope works. It's true. <laughs> exactly that. Well, look, yeah. I think it's been really fun to, to, to chat with you, Matt, and give give our viewers some more insight around Telerium and, and the work that you're doing and certainly how the technologies that you're you're implementing to your customers um, are, are supporting them in, in kind of transitioning to a more electronic trading floor um so as always a massive thank you um, thank anyone you. tuning in please feel free to like share comment please go ahead and check out the telerium website as well which i'll link below um or feel free to reach out to myself or matt directly if you have any questions i'll be happy to introduce you as well um but yeah once again thank you very much matt and goodbye for now thank you Floyd. bye hey guys thanks for watching this episode uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us if you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.